I heard a, a quote once, I'm not sure if I've got it precisely right, but I think I'm, I'm pretty close, and I believe it was by the greatest of American evangelists, D.L. Moody, and that is that there is no limit to what God can do through the life of one man or one woman who is wholly committed to Him. Now, D.L. Moody, he proved in his own experience the truth of that statement because as a result of his ministry, many, many thousands of men and, and women and young people worldwide came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, I, I want to begin by talking about another man mentioned in the, the reading we had, who by virtue of his commitment to the Lord was also able to do truly amazing things for him. And that man, of course, is Joshua. Because I tell you, as you read the story of, of Joshua's life, it really is, it's an incredible, amazing story. The list of this man's gifts and, and what he achieved really does, I think, take your breath away. He was a great general, a master politician, a brilliant organizer and administrator. What a man he was. And as you explore, as you dig a little bit deeper, I believe you soon come to see just what the, the secret was of his life. And that was his commitment. His commitment that was so much more than a mere matter of words, but rather his commitment was something true and something that was deeply rooted within him. He was truly committed at heart to the Lord. And this was something then that went on that expressed itself practically in, in lots various significant ways in his life. Like, for instance, the important that he placed in his life on the Word of God. For early on in his, his leadership, soon after he'd taken from Moses, the Lord came to Joshua, came to him with a very definite promise and a challenge. Joshua 1, verse 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, God promised Joshua victory, blessing, prosperity in every way through obeying and reading and proclaiming His Word. Throughout his life, Joshua acted on that promise, and God honored his obedience. And also, Joshua's commitment expressed itself, that heart commitment, and what was really a vigorous and active faith. Because again, the Lord came to Joshua early on in his ministry and gave him a, a wonderful promise that just so encouraged his faith. Joshua 1 verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And acting on that promise, responding in faith to the way that God was leading, what amazing, awesome acts of God Joshua then led his people into. 
for trusting in God's promise. Joshua led his people to a river in flood, and the waters parted before them. In obedience to God's orders, he marched his people in a seemingly pointless, foolhardy way around those walls, those great walls of Jericho. And those walls collapsed before their very eyes. And by faith, he commanded the sun and moon to stand still in the valley of Ajalon. And they did. They did. And we could go on and on. Uh, I don't want you to get me wrong, and I don't want to give you the wrong impression. Joshua was by no means a perfect man. No, he made his mistakes. But he was a committed man, truly committed to God at his heart. And so despite his weaknesses, despite his imperfections, God used him in a mighty way. And here in the, the passage that we're, we're concentrating on this morning, there's a lovely little comment and insight into the influence that he had, his life had, on his people. And it's there in, in Judges 2 verse 7. It says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But let me just set what I've said so far here into perspective. Joshua, because of his gifts and because of the sphere of service that was allotted to him by the Lord, he was able to achieve things that affected and influenced a nation. Now, we might not be gifted in the same way as Joshua was. Probably aren't. We might not be called to the the same kind of ministry on the same kind of scale? Probably not. But you know, in the local church, in the workplace, in the community, in the home where we are set, if we are truly committed to God and are ready to do whatever God asks of us, then believe me, God is able to do incredible things through each person here. And all of us have known people, haven't we, who've lived like this, who followed in Joshua's footsteps. As I speak, I can't help but but think of someone like Peter Barber, who was a a tremendous influence on my life during the early years of, of my ministry. And the title of his biography, written after his death, was To Me to Live is Christ. And what a fitting title that that was for for a man who in his life and in his death, by the way he died, who glorified Christ. When you met him, there was a sense in a special way of the presence of Jesus. And I'm sure that, that many of you, as you sit there now, can think of people in your life who you've known, whose commitment to Christ has inspired you, and who perhaps have been used in, in mighty ways by the Lord. And you might not have agreed with everything they said or everything they did, but for you, despite that, they were an in inspiration. Well, all this leads into what I want us to look at now and what we're going to call the problem of the second generation. Something we, we find referred to here, particularly in verse 10 and 11. It's a problem that's relevant to many churches and many families. And that is, why is it 
That once the, old gen- the older generation passes away or moves on, why is it that so often the generation that follows fails to walk in their ways, in God-honoring ways? I've seen this happen in churches who have known great blessing. I've seen it happen in families where parents have given their all for the Lord and have treasured their children and sought to bring them up in His ways, but there's been no fruit. Let's hear again then what it says here about the people of Israel. Verse 8, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died aged 110. Then verse 10 and 11, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, a new generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He'd done for, the, for Israel. Then the leaders did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So what's the problem? Why do, do God's people seem to fail so often to follow in the ways and the footsteps of their committed predecessors? Well, let's try and gain some insight into this from the experience of Israel from this passage here, beginning by looking at the nature of their failing. That is, what was the, the essence? What lay at the heart of their failure here? Well, I believe the key phrase is found in verse 10. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Now, now obviously, this isn't talking about head knowledge. It's not talking about head knowledge of what the Lord had done for Israel, for what they had not actually heard from their fathers, they must have actually seen with their own eyes. Because although they, they, they would have been young children, many of this generation, I believe, would have been there when the Jordan was crossed, when the waters were parted. They would have been there, looking on at least as witnesses, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So now you see, facts about God wasn't this generation's problem. But while I'm sure they knew a lot about God, it would seem from what we read here that they didn't actually know God. You see, they'd lost the the heart relationship. They'd lost that living experience of God. In some way, they'd lost touch with God. And so they forgot. They had no real imperative to walk in fellowship with Him. This is the heart of the second generation syndrome. It's a lukewarmness. It's an apathy about God and the the things of God. Things maybe that we've been taught about since childhood and things that we've seen do wonderful things in the lives of others that we've seen produce beautiful Christian lives that have stood out but that somehow just don't seem to have the same attraction for us. Don't excite us in the same way. We see these things. We accept these things. We think maybe somehow that we're automatic recipients of them, or at least of of the eternal benefits. We we take these things for granted. And so we decide, you know, that that's there. We've kind of got that. And so we'll look out there into the world for the extra dimension of life that we need. We look out there for the excitement that we crave, that we think will make life worth living. But what is it? What's the problem 
What is it that, that causes an individual, that causes a church community to in this kind of way lose any kind of sense or any kind of desire for an experience of the reality of God? Well, that's what we're going to move on to look at now as we look next at the cause of their failure. And, and if I see it, it was threefold. Threefold. Three things that led them into this failure. First, they became satisfied with the status quo. That is, they became satisfied with what they'd got, how far they'd gone. And they saw it as the norm, the acceptable. Now, now the reason why I, I say this is because the Lord had told his people through Joshua and, and also on a number of other occasions that they were to take the whole of the land that he'd given them. And in so doing, that, that they were to drive out all the pagan tribes. They were all to be driven out. Now, if you read through the early chapters, then you find that the, the first generation did conquer big parts of Canaan, but that they also left pockets of the enemy untouched. The second generation, though, they didn't seem to see it as their responsibility to finish the job. They didn't want to deal with what they saw as their parents' failure and shame. No, they just accepted what they had. They just said, it's enough. We'll stay here. And how easy it is to fall into that trap. How easy it is to accept what we see and what we experience in our church, in other churches, maybe in the lives of our parents, our families, our friends, or in people we admire how easy it is to accept that, that that's the right way, that that's enough, that it's the only way, the way it has to be, that it's all that God has for us. Well, you know, maybe it was the right way for an, early, an earlier generation. Maybe it was as far as God was able to take them and wanted to take them. And so what they did, the way that they lived their Christian lives, the way they exercised their Christian faith, that was living powerful and real for them. And while much of this may also be right for us as well, and certainly we share the same basis of truth, the same truths of the faith as every generation of Christians. And yet, if this isn't living and real and powerful for us, and if we don't search after God, hunger for God, for ourselves, in our individual life, in our church life, if we don't ask God to take us on again that next step further in our life of faith, if we're not hungry for that, if we don't have a desire for that, well, then very soon we're going to find ourselves, like Israel, not going on with the Lord, but falling away from Him. We're going to find ourselves living out a Christian life, a church life, that's just a shadow of what God wants it and intends it to be. I read somewhere during the week that God did not plan for the experiences of previous generations to be a diving board from which we go down, but to be a foundation on which we build. So let's not then just blindly accept what we see and what we've experienced as automatically right or, or enough. No, rather, instead, 
Let's read God's Word and see what He says is enough. Let's seek Him in prayer. Let's open our hearts and our lives to what He has, and let's then press on into all that God has for us. The second problem I see with this second generation here, the second cause of their failure, was that as well as being satisfied with the status quo, they also neglected the Word of God. For you see, there's almost no reference to the study of the Bible in the book of Judges. But it was there at the very heart of Joshua and his life. It would seem then that the people here, what they did is they they went through many of the rituals, they went through many of the customs of their faith. But they said the right things. They went to the right places and they certainly looked the part. But it was all about tradition. It was all about doing the things that used to be done, doing the things that had to be done, rather than being a living obedience arising out of an experience of God because we've met with Him in His Word. Again, you see, what this was, it was an empty shell of faith rather than a living reality. And how easy it can be for all of us to fall into this, maybe especially those who born into a Christian family, to fall into the same kind of trap, to try to live out a second-hand experience. Not to want to go really deeper in your own walk with God. To try to get through life on the basis of your family's experience. But you know, that's not good enough. You've got to find God and know Him for yourself. Louis Palau once famously said that God has no grandchildren. You've got to find your own experience You've got to seek God because He's there to be found and meet Him for yourself in His Word. The Christian life should have moments of excitement for you, moments when you draw near to God in an incredible way and know His touch. It won't all be that, but there should be moments of that in your experience. And if it's never that, if you're just going through the motions if you're just living out a Christianity that's never really gripped your heart, then I would say to you, it's time for you to search for God in His Word. It's time for you to seek Him out in prayer. Because I tell you this, God is there waiting to be found. And God has so much more to give you than you've ever known before, so much more to give you than this world can ever give you. The third cause, I believe, of the failure of the second generation here was that they took God's blessing for granted. If you see in Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12, God there issued a warning to His people through Moses. And this is it. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, A land with large flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord 
who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Now, this is a, a warning that the Lord saw actually is so important that he had Moses reinforce it just a little bit later in Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 18. And, and what's being spoken of here is of the importance of thanksgiving, of the importance of gratitude to God as a part of our spiritual lives. And, and, and what I think we, we should take note of is, is the process that actually more often goes on, and that is that, that God does a mighty thing in our lives. He saves us, He delivers us, He provides for us in so many ways. But then you see, as time goes on, and because of the kind of creatures as human beings that we are, we begin to forget all that. And we, and perhaps more particularly our children, or those who in whatever way follow on after us, they forget. And like Israel, they begin to take that blessing for granted. And before long, what we find is that we move from praising God for what He has given and for what He has done to congratulating ourselves because of what we've done, what we have, what we've become. You see, we become man-centered. That's our natural drive and draw. We suppose ourselves to be self-sufficient. We congratulate ourselves. And this is a road down which we travel not only to spiritual disaster, but often to disaster in many different ways in our lives. And it's so easy, isn't it, to begin to slip into this. I find it happening in my own life. Taking for granted what, what God has done for me. Taking someone who was lost and purposeless and giving me in Christ a joy, a hope, a future. Giving me a family. I find myself forgetting what God's done and taking what I have for granted. I find myself moaning about what's not right rather than giving thanks for what I have. And if that's possible for somebody like me who's had a background that wasn't God-honoring, then how much easier is that for my children and those who follow on? And that's why God tells us here, as Christians, as believers, to make thanksgiving central to our lives and our families and our church, to keep on recognizing what God's doing, how He's blessed us, lest we forget. And so begin that slide into disaster. Those are the kind of things, though, that were the causes of failure and are the causes of failure for the second generation. Those are the kind of things we can fall into. Let's finish by looking at God's dealing, the way God deals with their failure here. And I believe we can find this in the first two verses of chapter 3 where it talks of the nations the Lord left behind to test all those Israelites who'd not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. And it goes on to talk of that he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who'd not had previous battle experience. However, if we take this, this verse, and then line it up with what it says in verse 22 of chapter 2 about these nations, that I will use them to test Israel and see whether they keep the way of the Lord and walk in it, 
Well, I hope without spiritualizing this too much, I believe I can see another reason. I can see a deeper reason, other than simply teaching his people warfare that motivated God here to allow these nations that his people had failed to drive out to remain in the land and be a pest to his people. And that is because, you see, the Lord knew that as they fought these enemies in their own strength, as they tried to do it on their own, as they tried to take it on, well then, in the midst of the battle, and certainly in the aftermath of the defeat they suffered, then they would realize in their failure how much they needed their God and turn to them in their need. You know, have you ever wondered why God didn't take away or doesn't take away our sinful nature immediately once we've trusted Him? Have you ever wondered why sometimes in life things get hard, why you've got so many areas of weakness and need? Have you ever wondered why as a church we sometimes go through problems and have to face times of difficulty and challenge? It's because the Lord wants to use these kind of things to teach a people who can find it so easy to forget just how much they need him, that we can't do it on our own. You see, he wants to use these things to drive us on from settling in the status quo, to develop in us again a thirst for him and his word, and to give us then that spiritual of gratitude and thankfulness for him. You see, God doesn't want us to have a second rate or a second-hand Christian experience. He doesn't want that. He wants every single Christian, young and old, each one, to know him in a living and powerful way. He wants to fill us to overflowing with all that he has. God wants to do it. God wants to do marvelous things in each of our lives in this church. He's just waiting for us to open our hearts against death. Let's do that now. Let's come to the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you that you're here today, here in your grace and power and ready to meet with your people. Lord, you want to give us fresh blessing. You want to renew us once more. You want to use us in powerful ways. Lord, help us. Give us that hunger for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.